Good evening. Uh, a big special welcome to the people who have travelled uh, far and wide. Have I got sound? Yeah, there it is. Um, I know people come from, what are we talking about? Uh, Yass, Condo, and somewhere else that was far away. Broken Hill, was that it? Or Bathurst? Broken Hill. Yeah, that's some driving. Some people drove the, what was it, five hours from Condo down? And they're driving the five hours back after the service tonight. So um, awesome to have you guys here. The, the message is not going to go for four hours, just a couple hours. So we'll make sure we're not too bored before we get to um, the climax of the night with these guys getting baptised. Um, how do you get, uh, if you're, what do you do if you're trying to get someone's attention? Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Lee. It was a rhetorical question. <laughs> That's good, though. Audience participation is great. You know, what, do you, what, is, what is it? Um, what, do you, what is it you do to try and actually draw a response out of someone? You, know, you want them to. You want to elicit a response. What is it you do to try and get a response from someone? I reckon the old head nod, you know, the works pretty good in Wodonga. To get a response from people, you know, like if you're going to, you're going to say good day or acknowledge somebody when you're walking down the street in the country or in Wodonga, you can kind of go a bit of a head nod and, and you get some response. But it doesn't work too good in Melbourne or kind of capital cities. And I hate it how people, um, it seems like they want, they want to mind their own business in big cities. And, and so I like the challenge of kind of getting into their business and kind of like do a bit of a head nod. But it doesn't really work. So when the head nod fails, so I'm walking down the street and I go, how you doing? And they kind of like, you know how people, they do it perfectly. You're walking up, maybe you're 10, 20 metres at the right time. They just go, hey, look, someone over there. <laughs> and then they look past. Oh, they're gone. So they don't have to look at you in the face. So the head nod doesn't work. So I might progress to a kind of a low pipe. How you doing? You know, but if that doesn't get anything, I kind of just do it a bit louder. Height, you know. And uh, it's interesting to see their, their response when they, they kind of realise you're trying to get their attention. Sometimes they just ignore you though, and I feel like inside I want to kind of jump around and go, hey, how you doing, you know, to try and draw out a response. Now, of course, different people, um, we will we'll try and get a response in different ways. What about uh, a loved one? Let's use a loved one, for example. A loved one that's actually, uh, you've got a broken relationship with them. What is it you do to try and get a response out of them? Do you speak? Maybe whisper. Maybe that'll get through. Maybe write a letter or an email. Maybe you text them. Maybe you phone them. Maybe you joke with them. Maybe you yell at them. Maybe you scream at them. Maybe you cry just to try and get a response out. Well, we've been reading... Uh, through the, a little book, uh, the little book of Jonah over the last couple of weeks. And what's becoming really clear through reading it is that God's not silent, he's not blind, and God's not disinterested in people. No, God goes out of his way to draw out a response, to elicit a response from people. So we've been looking at Nineveh, the people of Nineveh, and, and uh, they're a city in Assyria, and God's interested in these people. 
Even though Nineveh is like full of people who reject God completely. They ignore God. But God still wants to get a response out. So he sends this guy called Jonah. And he sends Jonah to take them a message. And the message says, God loves you. And he wants you to turn from your wicked ways and receive his love. And we also know uh, another way that kind of we see that God's really trying to get a response and he's interested is that he's interested in Jonah, even though Jonah, um, we heard last week, completely ignored and rebelled and disobeyed God's desire for him to take the message. He said no and he boarded a, a, a ship and tried to escape to the ends of the earth so he wouldn't have to do it. But then when he was almost at, uh, about to die, he cried for help and God, God saves him. God goes out of his way to draw out or elicit a response from people. And now at this point in the story of Jonah, we still have unfinished business. The story isn't over. Jonah's been uh, rescued, safe from certain death, but we still haven't got the message that needs to be taken um, to Nineveh, to the, the people in the city of Nineveh. So a little bit of the time and, and work through it like that. Second time, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit required three days. On the first day, Jonah started into the city. He proclaimed, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. It's been a while coming, but God's message finally got to Nineveh. Jonah's been swallowed by fish, and now he's swallowing his own pride. As much as he doesn't like the people of Nineveh, they're the enemies of Israel, he understands that it's not so much about him, but rather about God's desire for the message to be taken to those of Nineveh. He's going out of his way to get a response. It must be a pretty important message because Nineveh is like miles away, 900 kilometres away from where Jonah is. It's like the distance between Wodonga and Adelaide. This guy's not going to fly. He's not going to get on a train or a plane or a car or whatever. He's got to get there via pretty uh, primitive ways, perhaps walking, perhaps some other way. And then we hear that when he even gets there, it's going to take him three days to even kind of tell this message, to speak it out around this city. In this message, imagine this guy, a strange guy coming to your city. No one knows him. No one knows the, really the God that he's talking about because they flat out ignore that God. But God is interested in these people. And the message is pretty full on. In the last, I think it's uh, verse 4 there, we read that here's uh, Jonah's soft message. 40 more days and Nineveh will be overturned. Overturned. It's God's message. It's perhaps not the full message we're reading here. It's probably more of an edited version. We also heard in chapter 1 verse 2 that the first part of the message was Jonah was told to preach against Nineveh. And on first reading, we could misinterpret it that God's just this vengeful God. He's an angry God and he's going to punish these people. But at the core of the message is actually compassion. It's a message from a compassionate God. And the word overturned is interesting too because overturned can kind of have a double meaning. 
The first one is the obvious thing. It's kind of like a threat. And it's like saying, you know, if you don't respond to this message, I'm going to, like, destroy your city, destroy the inhabitants as well. But on the other hand, it's kind of this great little secondary meaning. It could be like in 40 more days, Nineveh, who is kind of wicked and just doesn't like God at all, has these sinful behaviours, that could be overturned. That the people of Nineveh could actually turn from their evil ways and live in right relationship with God. The point is, though, God's message, it's delivered. And God goes out of his way to draw a response out of these people, even those who appear disinterested in him. And, you know, it's interesting uh, because today there's also a message from God that's being taken out there. It's our role as believers to take it out there, but the message is being taken out. And he's telling people the message is forgiveness of sins is available through faith in Jesus Christ. You can have a relationship with God restored if you will repent of your sins and turn and trust Jesus. The message is God loves us. He's trying to draw a response out of us. It's a pretty powerful message. Perhaps he whispers it. Maybe he yells it sometimes. Maybe he cries for us. How are we responding to this message is a good question to ask, though. How do we respond tonight? How are we responding? Well, the people of Nineveh heard the message, and let's see how they respond. So please look at me back um, from verse 5. It says, uh, the Ninevites believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. Then he issued a proclamation in Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles. Do not let any man or beast, herd or flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth. Let everyone call on urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. The Ninevites believed. They responded in belief. And this belief leads them to this serious kind of action, a movement, a change in direction in life. They've been ignoring God. They've been kind of living lives of violence towards others, violating human dignity through violence and sexual exploitation, pursuing everything that will bring them pleasure, but ignoring God totally. And then they believe God. They declare a fast from the greatest to the least. They put on sackcloth. And then when the, the king gets wind of it as well, the king kind of just goes, he kind of echoes this decree. He says, you betcha, we're going to put this in writing. And this time, when it gets to the king, he says, no, we're going to make our animals, our animals are going to be included. They're going to fast. They're not going to allow to eat either. And you know, in a normal fast, you're allowed to drink. But it's like this, it's got even more serious now. Now they're, um, they're not allowed to drink. No one. 
and he commands them to put on sackcloth. And fasting, it's like this, uh, the thing that you do if you earnestly seek God. Sackcloth is uh, put on to show that they're, they're repentant. They're sorry. They're deeply sorry for what they've done. And it's amazing, the whole city, the whole city earnestly seeking God, earnestly um, repenting of what they've done. What an awesome response. People living lives in the wrong direction, and it's like they've done this really rapid, like, live in this way, and have done this rapid 180. It's like this amazing kind of response. Like my old friend Ryan, who used to um, cruise down the road in his Valiant Charger, and then want to go back the other direction. And he'd kind of slow up a little bit and whack the handbrake on. He'd just do this perfect, I mean, irresponsible... 180 handbrake turn. So he's facing the other direction. It was like that quick. These guys seem to just turn around so quickly. And like I say, today the message is being proclaimed. Forgiveness of sins, if only we would repent and turn towards God and trust in Jesus. You know, it might not be 40 days for us that uh, we're going to be overturned, but a time will come when we'll face God. And the only way, the only way of finding forgiveness is by entrusting our whole life to Jesus, who's the one who died on the cross, a death that should have been ours, for the dying our punishment that we deserve for the way we reject God. Now, for Christian or non-Christian, forgiveness is only found through faith in Jesus. So the question for us, it's uh, how are we responding tonight? How are we responding? It's interesting that there's always a response. There's always a response. You hear the message about Jesus, the message about God's love for you, and, and you will respond. You can get cold to it, or you can warm to it. Or you can, you know, you hear about it, maybe you just get really prickly to it. You kind of don't want to hear it. You get defensive to the message. That's the way you respond. Or you could soften and embrace it. You can ignore it. There's a response, I'm sure, um, lots of us have done that. But you can reject it completely. You can say it's a load of rubbish. Or you can believe it. Like the Ninevites believe the message. A belief that led to repentance and faith. How are we responding? Have you ever taken a wrong turn before? Ever got lost before? I remember going uh, for a walk on Lake Mountain near Marysville with my wife, Michelle, one time. I love it. It's a really nice place up there. You know, you've got the snow gums, you've got the kind of the cool, crisp air, you've got that smell of the bush. I really enjoy that. Now, I've been up there a number of times when it's been snowing, so I've, I've cross-country skied through it, so I thought I knew uh, where I was going this one time. I picked a track I knew would kind of 
snake its way back to the car park, which is where we had to go. It was funny how when I was walking down this path, I kept telling myself that, no, no, this is the next corner. At the next corner, it's going to turn around and it's going to kind of lead me back to the car park. We probably walked, probably not that far, it might have been 20 minutes, but we're in a, a hurry to kind of get back and we're already running late for where we should have been. And, uh, but I just kept going. The turn never came. And at some point, I had to kind of eat humble pie and kind of go, all right, it's the wrong way. Michelle, okay. Although she was telling me for quite some time. <laughs> and we turned back and we walked back the long way to the car. Forgiveness is available, right relationship is available um, through faith in Jesus. What is our response? Are we going to, if we're walking down the wrong path, are we going to eat humble pie, if you like, and turn around and start following Jesus in the right direction? Jesus says in John 3.36, he says, whoever believes in the Son, that's Jesus, has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life. But God's wrath remains on him. Well, what I think is interesting is that the king of Nineveh, he finishes and he says in his decree, who knows? You know, if we really seek God, if we really humble ourselves, God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we'll not perish. It's like he doesn't even know if God will actually show compassion. It's an unknown thing for him. He's just kind of like hoping, you know, kind of wish, wishing and, and hoping, holding his breath to see what God will do. Well, let's read though. Final verse in chapter 3 says, When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. God sees and God acts. God saw what they did when they repented from their evil ways and then God acts with compassion, with mercy and he doesn't destroy the city. God has sent them this message and the response he has wanted, the desire for them to repent has happened. The king wasn't sure but God did relent. Now, people, I don't know what you're like here tonight, but I think some of us, we don't know how God's going to act, especially if we've never kind of turned and said yes to Jesus. We're not sure, maybe. Maybe God's going to remain angry. Maybe he's kind of like, he's not going to turn from his anger and he's just going to take you out. Well, the king didn't know for sure, but we can be totally sure. Jesus says, whoever believes in the Son, that's whoever believes in the Son. Whoever. doesn't matter who you are. You can have eternal life, which means you've got forgiveness of sins. It's a promise from Jesus himself. It's a promise that compassion, that mercy is a definite. It's assured. Last Sunday night, I wasn't here. And I feel like I have to confess to you because I was actually at a, a concert in Melbourne. At um, seeing you too. Um, I didn't plan it. It was supposed to be on Saturday, but one of the guys got sick and they got moved to Sunday. That's my 
um, rationale. I find the band inspiring. I, I find the band, they, um, they kind of challenge me in lots of different ways. Do you know that, uh, just for a bit of an aside, that uh, this is what inspires me. Larry Mullen Jr., the drummer of U2, uh, who's probably the, one of the most well-known drummers now in the world for kind of rock bands, when they started going for um, some record deals, some of the people who actually heard Larry Mullen play were like, man, they go and say, you guys are not too bad, but you've got to get rid of your drummer because he's like really, really bad. But so through perseverance, these guys have become amazing. Anyway, back on track here, right. I went to this concert. I bought, I was given a ticket to the concert um, to see you too, um, from my sister-in-law. Uh, and it was like, this ticket was a seated ticket. And I knew that this was my ticket into the concert. It's like my, my trust and my faith was on this ticket. I knew I could go to the concert and just kind of walk up, go, here's my ticket, do a bit of a swipe thing. It was at Dockland Stadium. And I could just go in, have my seat number on it, and I could just go directly to my seat and sit down. This ticket guaranteed me my entry into the concert. It guaranteed me my seat. When you put your trust in Jesus, and I mean trust, trusting in Jesus, not kind of like I did it when I was 12, but actually daily I'm trusting in Jesus. When that is where your trust is, then you are guaranteed. It's a, a certainty that you not only have eternal life, but you have relationship with God now. As long as you hold on, you trust in Jesus Christ. So we know that the response from God, that God's going to see that, God sees that, and God acts with compassion. I just want to conclude. God's message is being told. He's communicating it. He's speaking it. He's crying it out through people. And he wants us to respond. We will respond. It just depends how. God wants us to respond with repentance and trust in Jesus. And he will have compassion on us. The question is, how do we respond? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you for your mercy. And we praise you for Jesus. That when we humbly admit we have done wrong, and we repent from our old way and turn to you, that you forgive us, Lord Jesus, and we have relationship with you. Father God, help us respond. Help us respond in faith, not rejection. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, it's a very special night tonight. We're having the baptism of uh, Lauren Noni and Brianna. And these uh, three young adults have responded to Jesus. They've responded in repentance and put their faith in him. And we read that in the book of Acts that when you respond this way, the next thing you do, you get baptized. So in Acts 2.38, it says, Peter's kind of preaching to the masses and he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. So you might be wondering maybe a little bit what baptism's about. Well, it's the outward sign of what's happened in the heart of a person who has said yes to Jesus. It's the outward sign that uh, a person has died to living for themselves and died to these old ways of life and they've received forgiveness 
from God. Forgiveness that only comes through Jesus. Tonight we're going to uh, see them go down into the water. They're going to go under the water. And the symbolism is like they're dying to their old way of life. And then, with a bit of luck, uh, I'll pull them up out of the water. And the image is like these guys are rising. They're rising to a new life lived for Jesus. And the image is great. It's like also one being washed and purified from our sins. Through faith in Jesus, we're washed clean. We're purified and forever restored to relationship with Jesus. And baptism just shows that these guys love Jesus, that these guys love God, and they want to live for him. I'm going to ask Noni to come up and share her testimony, testimony first. We're going to give one after the other. Let's uh, give Noni a warm welcome. They have matching headbands too. Hi, I'm Noni. Um, Phil told us not to speak in Christianese, which is special Christian language, so hopefully I've managed to keep things fairly simple. To begin, I grew up in a Christian home. This meant church every Sunday morning. Uh, we went to the local Presbyterian church. For some weird reason, it meant crazy fights with mum every Saturday night about what I'd wear to church the next day. I don't do that anymore, so it's good. Um, I was able to go to Sunday school, which was great, and when I was old enough, I went to the youth group run by our church. Condo um, is a small town. There's about 3,500 people in the centre of New South Wales, and so there were only four of us at the youth group for quite a while, so it was a bit different to hear. Um, I've been a follower of Jesus since as long as I can remember. I can't tell you of a particular moment when I realised that I was a sinner or asked God to forgive my sins. I have to do that all the time anyway. Um, I just remember always knowing about God and wanting to follow him. I want you to know I found it quite hard to put into words about how I grabbed hold of my relationship with Jesus and what this means to me. I guess a big part of it is the fact that God sent his only son to die so that I and everyone else too um, can be forgiven for my sins and have eternal life. Now, I don't know about you, but the idea of someone dying for me is pretty amazing. Um, I know that I'd feel indebted to that person forever. So when God calls us to follow him, I found it really hard to refuse. Uh, to me, this means living life in the way that God wants me to. It means having a friend I can count on to listen to me whenever I want. It means being part of a big family of other followers of Jesus where I feel welcome and accepted. It means everything in my life is influenced by this relationship, by what I choose to do or not do. So I guess you could say that Jesus permeates into my life. Um, just to give you an idea of how important Jesus is to me, I think that if I didn't have Jesus in my life, there would be a big hole left unfilled. Um, that's the best way I can describe it, that there'd just be something missing. Um, God um, gives me a reason and a purpose for life, and I think that's pretty amazing um, that there is a plan for my life and that God's steering me in whichever direction he chooses. 
I'm not saying it's always easy, because it's not. Often do things wrong, make mistakes, and struggle with problems. And God doesn't say that he's going to make our lives easy. But I do know that Jesus died so that I can be perfect in God's eyes. And being baptised is my public declaration of my acceptance of this gift of life from God. I'd really like to thank all my friends and family for being such strong Christian examples for me to follow. And also thanks for travelling such a long way to be here tonight. That's really good. And congratulations to the other girls. Thank you. Brianna, Brianna. Just welcome Brianna too. Brianna Collins is coming up. Evening, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Brianna Crothers, and I've just finished my second year of study at Charles Sturt Uni. Tonight, I don't have any stories to make you laugh or even to make you cry. Instead, I stand before you to publicly testify my faith in an awesome God who, even though distant has at times, has always been a part of my life. I was born into a Christian home, and for this, I will always be grateful. In my hometown of Bendigo, <laughs> I grew up in a small Christian fellowship, attending Sunday school until I was old enough to graduate and join the music team. Over the next couple of years, numbers in our church began to slowly dwindle until one day the church decided to close. I wasn't there the morning the decision was made, and this is something that I struggled with because although I was not old enough to have a say, that church had always been home. During the weeks that followed the church closure, I found that for the first time in my life, I had to cling to God and not just to a church. I had to grow a relationship with him, not solely on the preaching of others, but through his word and through prayer. Although the experience was hard, it forced me to go back to the ground roots of my faith from which I could regrow. Before moving to Albury, I spent time in a home church and at Bendigo Baptist, where I began to fall back into the trap of just attending church. Up until quite recently, I'd have to call myself a Sunday Christian. I would turn up to church, listen to the sermon, and walk back out the door unchanged. As soon as I had left the building, that was the last I'd truly thought about God for the week. Although I did daily devotions and prayed often, I lacked a personal relationship with Christ. I knew that he had died for my sins, but never truly appreciated what that meant. I can't explain to you exactly what it is that changed inside of me, but I went from just attending church out of habit to attending church to learn and to meet Christ in fellowship with others. From believing just because my parents did, to believing because I honestly and passionately loved Christ. I stopped just listening to the message and started living for the message. I found myself constantly surrendering my whole life over to Christ, for him to use me for his own perfect will here on earth. I was no longer afraid to tell my friends what I'd done on a Sunday, and with his help, I started to share my faith as best I could. Since making the decision to truly follow Christ, life hasn't become trouble-free. I haven't suddenly been transformed into a sinless person and neither of those around me. But although things might not be good all the time, I know God is there all the time, and it is that which I can cling to. I know that he will carry me through on his own strength, and that through him all things work for the good. I'm sure you've all heard the donut analogy a thousand times, but with Christ at my center, I now no longer search for something or someone to fill me, but I'm made complete by him. 
Sometime last year on a trip back home, one of my friends preached on our amazing ability to say yes to God's requests, but only to a point to which we feel comfortable. He likened this to a horse in a cross-country Olympic event, jumping over each hurdle until suddenly, in front of a large jump, the horse refuses, coming to a screaming halt and throwing the jockey off. This message caused something to stir in my heart, reminding me of all the times I had said yes to going to church, but no to speaking to my non-Christian friends. Yes to obeying some of his commands, but no to baptism. Being baptised is something I've always planned to do, but always managed to find an excuse not to do. I wanted to learn more about God before I did it. I wanted to make my life right with him, and I wanted to know I had an interesting testimony to share. I said yes to God's requests, but at the final hurdle I drew the line, declaring it to be the point at which I stopped. But tonight that changes. Tonight, with all of you as my witnesses, I'm going to take that final leap, for I can never and will never know all that I want to about God, and my relationship with him will never be exactly the way that I want it to be. But I know Christ, and I know it is because of his love for me that I can stand here before you and declare my faith and trust in him. Thank you. Thanks, Bree. Thanks, Bree, and thank you. Uh, welcome to the people from Bendigo as well. Um, Lauren Anderson, can you come up? So, let's welcome Lauren. Well, I'm Lauren. I grew up in a Christian home and I'm from a small Baptist church in Yass, New South Wales. I grew up hearing the theory and believing God was real, but only fairly recently have come to know him as my friend. God's always been important, but not always top priority. I used to pray prayers of selfish desperation, more about wanting help than thanking God. I went through the motions of what I thought being a Christian was, being good and going to church on Sunday. My outside appearance looked like things were going well, but inside I was stuck. One memory of helplessness and needing to turn to God was the beginning of uni. I'd left home for the first time, felt alone with not much of a support network and facing a new and challenging environment. In O-Week, I took on the role of initiating conversations with strangers, comforted by having God with me. Doing this was out of my comfort zone, but I found satisfaction in accomplishing something uncomfortable. This step resulted in a support network of close friends at uni, but giving control to God was short-lived and things, as things became easier. I got used to the new environment and tried to take back control of my own life. I fell into the trap of saying to God, thanks for helping me out, but I can handle it from here. I don't have a specific point that comes to mind where I could say I became a Christian, mostly because I grew up in a Christian home. At 13, I went forward at its service my youth group attended, my first memory of choosing for myself to live life as a follower. At the time, I only half understood what was happening. People further along in their relationships with God than me were excited about the step I'd made, but I didn't feel any different. Maybe I expected life to improve, which isn't the case. Life is easier as a follower, but only because you're depending on God, not because circumstances become easier. Camp this year was a big turning point for me. I had been to camps before where you take time out focusing on God and your relationship with him. These camps are great for reaching a spiritual high, coming home feeling refreshed and excited about living for God. This happened, but it wasn't long before I was back in the real world and crashed. This time, I turned everything over to God and started to take steps to live my life for him. I went to him in daily prayer, not just when I thought I had a need and not just for myself, but for others when I knew the, of their needs. I joined a Bible study which meant extra support with other followers during the week and more accountability. Through trusting God, I've 
being more willing to go out of my comfort zone, even with small things like speaking up in small group or praying out loud in front of the group, both things which I was and sometimes still am reluctant to do. The challenges that have most tested me have been moving away from home and learning to live with a chronic Ill illness. These things have been hardest to cope with in the last two years and are the things that I've most needed to hand to God. Moving from home was difficult because having lived in the same place all my life, people knew me as being a Christian without me having to say much about it. Occasionally I would get questions from my friends, but mostly I kept my Christian life separate from the outside life people saw. Moving from home meant an exciting challenge of finding myself, but to a place where no one knew me. This challenged my beliefs because I didn't have the support from home to back me up and I had to justify why I did things a certain way or chose not to do certain things. When I was at home, it was what I'd grown up with and I'd never considered the reasons why. The challenge of needing reasons made me think about what was important to me, my beliefs, and at the same time reaffirmed my need to depend on God more than myself. For me, being a follower means being totally unworthy of grace and forgiveness that God's given us. Knowing that I'm not perfect and I won't ever be, but God loves me anyway and he has a plan for my life. It's mind-blowing to think of how much I know I stuff up and think that God still loves me. He's still there, waiting patiently for me to come back and say I need his help. Often I find it hard to accept God's love and grace. I feel like I should have some sort of price to pay. I shouldn't be getting the gift of grace free of penalty. But Jesus died so I could have that gift and that all God wants each of us to do is say thank you and accept. How awesome is that? Thank you. might just uh, invite these guys, just pray. we'll just pray before we go out, um, if you guys want to come up just briefly. It's awesome to see uh, how God works, isn't it? It's great. So let's pray for these guys. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we want to just thank you so much for your, just for how you work in these guys' lives. Lord, for the, just the amazing grace you've shown to them and, and their love for you. And we just pray that uh, that you would more and more just uh, grow their love of you and show them how much you love them, Lord, that they might live for you more and more, more for the praise of your name. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus, for this night. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's go. Just as.